If you have ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you're going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. Both links will be in the episode description if you are interested. Before I get started on this week's episode, I just wanted to quickly remind you that this podcast has a Patreon and has a merch store on Teesprings. If you want to learn more about the Patreon and or the merch, just head on over to this podcast Twitter page. It's at History Shelf Pod. But of course, you listening is the best way to support this show, and I want to thank you so much for doing that. All right, now let's get started on this week's episode. The subject of this week's episode was complex. Was she a victim? Yes. Was she a villain? Yes. Was she a product of her time and surroundings? Aren't we all to a certain extent? Hi, I'm Courtney Jewell and you are listening to the 14th episode of the first season of History Shelf, a podcast about history that proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. For the first season of this podcast, I am talking about something that I find to be very interesting, and that's Tudor history. Now, when I think of Tudor history, the first person that comes to my mind is King Henry VIII. But I'm not talking about him per se. Rather, I'm focusing in on his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And as I go along this season, you will find there was a lot of overlap between his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And for this week, I am talking about Queen Mary I of England. Queen Mary I of England was born on February 18, 1516 in Greenwich, England. She was born not a queen but a princess to her parents, Queen Catherine of Aragon and King Henry VIII. Mary wasn't the first child born to her parents. They had already had a stillborn daughter and three sons that were either stillborn or they died not too long after their birth. Mary's parents had been trying for seven years to have a healthy child. You may know Mary as Bloody Mary, but more on that later. Right now, I want to focus in on Mary's childhood. Mary's godparents were Lord Chancellor Thomas Wolsey, her great-aunt Catherine Countess of Devon, Agnes Tilney, Duchess of Norfolk. You may remember the name Agnes Tilney from the Catherine Howard episode that I did earlier this season. Agnes Tilney was also Catherine Howard's step-grandmother. And Mary's other godparent was Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury. 
Margaret was also Mary's governess for a time, and she became like a second mother to Mary. Like I said in the episode I did on Queen Catherine of Aragon, the first episode of this season and of this podcast, Catherine of Aragon believed that girls should be educated just like boys. So, of course, Catherine's own daughter received an excellent education. Catherine did not personally educate Mary herself, but she did ask Spanish humanist Juan Luis Vives to write a manual for Mary's education. Catherine believed that Juan's original manual just encouraged girls to be educated to be wives and mothers, and Catherine wanted more for her daughter. When Mary was seven, Juan wrote a guide called On a Plan of Study that he dedicated to Princess Mary. Mary was an intelligent young girl. She had a knack for learning new languages. By nine, Mary could write Latin. She knew Greek and French and some Italian, and she understood Spanish. She was also excellent at music. She could sing and play many instruments. She also loved to dance and to hunt. She was also taught to be a devout Catholic. King Henry VIII desperately wanted a son. When Mary was born, he said, quote, We are both young. If it was a daughter this time, by the grace of God, sons will follow. End quote. But just because Henry was disappointed that he didn't have a son didn't mean that he didn't love and adore his daughter Mary. Henry called Mary his pearl. England and France were enemies for years. To end the fighting, Mary was betrothed to Francis, the Dauphin of France, on October 2, 1518. Mary was two years old and the Dauphin was just a few months old. Though the two would only marry if both Mary and Francis agreed to the marriage when they became of age. But that would be a choice that neither of them would get to make, because in 1521, Mary was betrothed to her first cousin, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. He had previously been betrothed to another Mary, King Henry VIII's younger sister, and Mary I's aunt and namesake, Mary Tudor, Queen of France. Mary I of England was six years old at the time of the betrothal, and Charles was 21. The engagement was broken off in 1525. Charles wanted Mary to come to Spain so he could marry her as soon as Mary came of age. Henry said no, and so Charles married Isabel of Portugal instead. Mary was upset because she was infatuated with Charles. In 1528, there was talk of Mary possibly marrying her cousin James V of Scotland. They were closer in age. James was only four years older than Mary, but nothing became of that either. In 1525, Henry made Mary informally the Princess of Wales. You could say that she was his heir, but a female heir was unheard of. Women didn't rule. That was a role that the vast majority of people in 16th century England thought only a man could fill. So Henry needed a son. The years kept passing by and Henry didn't have a son. At least, he didn't have a son with his wife. 
He had an illegitimate son that he acknowledged, and it was speculated that he had more illegitimate sons, and daughters for that matter, with other mistresses. Henry needed a legitimate son. Catherine of Aragon, of course, like everyone else, was getting older. She started to go through menopause. There was no way that Catherine of Aragon was going to give Henry a son that could take the English throne after Henry VIII died. Henry thought about making his illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, his heir. But then Henry Fitzroy died. Then Anne Boleyn entered into the picture. I know I have already talked about this in the episodes I did on Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, and I go more in depth about this on those episodes, but I have to talk about it here as well, because this was part of Mary's story too. Mary was adored by King Henry VIII until he fell in love with Anne Boleyn in 1526. Then he started to ignore his beloved daughter. Henry sent Mary to Richmond, away from court, away from him, and away from her mother. Mary wasn't allowed to see her mother until Mary and Catherine agreed that his marriage to Catherine was illegitimate. Mary would never see her mother again. Mary had been betrothed before, but now there was no more marriage talks. New Year's came and she didn't receive a gift from her father. She sent him a gold cup, but he sent it back to her. Mary was kept in a cold and damp castle, and her household was being reduced little by little. From 1531, Mary started to get sick at her stomach. She would be pale and sweaty with cramps so bad she could hardly get out of bed. This could have been due to menstruation or some kind of illness, or it could have been from the stress and depression from not seeing both of her parents and not having the life she grew up knowing. In 1533, King Henry VIII married Anne Boleyn. Mary's parents' marriage was declared null and void. Mary was informed by her father's men that she was now declared illegitimate. Mary refused to recognize Anne as queen and agree that she was illegitimate. Mary was heartbroken to lose the title of princess. She was devastated. Mary was once her father's pearl, and now she was his bastard. Word got to Mary that her mother's health was declining. Mary knew that Henry wouldn't allow her to see her mother, but Mary wanted to at least write to her mother to ask her about her health, but Henry wouldn't even give her that. She begged her father to let her write to her mother. She even told her father that he could read the letters first, but Henry still said no. On September 7, 1533, Anne Boleyn gave birth to a daughter named Elizabeth. Mary was called back to court, but not as a daughter, and certainly not as a princess, but as a maid for her younger half-sister Elizabeth. It was a humiliation. Mary's mother died on January 7, 1536. Anne Boleyn was beheaded on May 19, 1536, and King Henry VIII married Jane Seymour 11 days after Anne's beheading. 
Jane helped repair the relationship between Mary and Henry. Mary didn't want to say that her parents' marriage was illegitimate. She didn't want to call herself a bastard, and she didn't want to acknowledge that Elizabeth was a princess. But her cousin that she was once betrothed to, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, urged her to sign a document agreeing to all of that. Charles was one of the few people that Mary trusted, and so she signed the document. But Mary refused to give up her Roman Catholic faith. Mary secretly took Catholic Mass, and King Henry VIII knew, and he did allow her the one kindness of letting her keep her religion. When Mary finally gave her father everything that he wanted, Mary's life became better and easier for her. When Mary's half-brother Edward was born, she was made his godmother. And when Mary's stepmother Jane Seymour died, she was the chief mourner. And while Henry was between wives, Mary acted as a hostess. Things in Mary's life was finally going well. In October of 1536, a revolt broke out in the northern part of England. This revolt was over King Henry VIII breaking away from Rome and declaring himself head of the church so he could marry Anne Boleyn. This revolt was called the Pilgrimage of Grace. This rebellion was made up of 35,000 men. One of the things that the rebels wanted was to see Mary made legitimate again. The rebels did not succeed. In 1539, Philip, Duke of Bavaria, courted Mary, but Philip was a Lutheran and Mary was a strong Catholic, so it was a match that could never be. Thomas Cromwell was charged with plotting to marry Mary, though it's very unlikely he actually was plotting to marry her. At this point, King Henry VIII just wanted Thomas Cromwell dead. Before Thomas Cromwell was charged with plotting to marry Mary, it was suggested that Mary should marry William I, Duke of Cleves, but instead Mary's father married William's sister, Anne of Cleves. Anne of Cleves helped continue what Jane Seymour started. She helped repair the relationship between Mary and her father. In fact, Mary and Anne even stayed friends after Henry and Anne's marriage was annulled though they did have a falling out after the Wyatt's Rebellion, but more on that in a little bit. But the stepmother that helped repair Mary's and Henry's relationship the most was Henry's sixth and final wife, Catherine Parr. She made Henry and his children a family. Then in February of 1544, Henry passed the Third Act of Succession. The Third Act of Succession put Mary back in the line of succession. Mary would be queen after Edward and his heirs and after any children Henry may have with Catherine Parr and their heirs. Mary was still illegitimate, but being put back in the line of succession was huge for Mary. King Henry VIII died on January 28, 1547. When he died, 
Mary's half-brother Edward was a boy that became a king. But, of course, he was only a king in name. He had a council that actually ruled. Under Edward's reign, the Church of England became even more Protestant. Protestants thought the Bible and Mass should be in English. Mary was ordered to no longer have Mass in Latin. She refused. Mary mostly stayed away from court during Edward's reign, but she did go to court for Christmas in 1550. Edward scolded his older sister like a child for going against him and not giving up Mass in Latin. The event ended with both Mary and Edward in tears. In 1553, a childless King Edward VI was on his deathbed. Mary was next in line for the throne. This worried Edward's council. It was no secret Mary was a Catholic. Everyone knew it. And they didn't want England to be Catholic again. So King Edward VI made his own line of succession. In this line of succession, Mary and Elizabeth were left out because they were both illegitimate. In Mary's place in the line of succession was Edward's cousin, Lady Jane Grey. Jane was the daughter of Mary's goddaughter, Frances Brandon. Frances was the daughter of Mary's aunt and namesake, Mary Tudor, Queen of France. You should also know who Jane's father-in-law was. He was a man by the name of John Dudley. John Dudley was Edward's top advisor. John knew that the people of England, which were mostly Catholic, loved Mary. He knew that it wouldn't be easy to replace Mary. So John Dudley came up with a plan to kidnap Mary. John Dudley sent Mary a letter for her to see her dying brother. Mary was informed of John Dudley's plan to kidnap her, and so instead of coming to court, Mary fled to East Anglia to gather an army. On July 6, 1553, Edward died of probably tuberculosis. John Dudley didn't announce the death right away. John put ships on the coast to stop Mary from escaping, and to keep Mary from getting any backup. It was announced on July 10, 1553, that Lady Jane Grey would be queen. Mary let the council know that she was going to take her crown. The council wrote back to her and told her that she was illegitimate. John Dudley formed an army of 9,000 men to fight Mary. But Mary had an army of 20,000. The council knew that John Dudley was outnumbered, and so they switched their support to Mary. There were cheers as Mary rode into town with Elizabeth by her side to take her throne. Mary understood that Lady Jane Grey was just a pawn. Jane and her husband, Lord Guilford Dudley, were charged with treason, but Mary wasn't going to execute them, though she did execute John Dudley. Mary released Thomas Howard, Stephen Garner, and Edward Courtney from the Tower of London. When Mary took the throne, she issued a proclamation that she would not force anyone to follow her religion. But in September 1553, Mary started imprisoning Protestant leaders. On October 1st, 1553, Mary was crowned queen by Stephen Garner in Westminster Abbey. 
In October 1553, she also declared that her parents' marriage was valid. Mary was no longer a bastard. She also abolished King Edward VI's religious laws. The English church returned to Roman jurisdiction. Mary's next order of business was to find a husband. Mary was a 37-year-old unmarried woman, and she knew the next person in line of succession was her Protestant half-sister Elizabeth. Mary needed to get married. Edward Courtney and Reginald Pole were seen as possible husbands, but Mary's cousin that she had once been betrothed to, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, suggested that Mary marry his son Philip. Philip was not an obvious choice. For one, Philip spoke no English. When Mary and Philip communicated with one another, they had to communicate with each other in Spanish, French, or Latin because those were the only languages that they both knew. Another reason why Philip wasn't an obvious choice was Philip was a foreigner, and because of that reason, Mary's counsel was 100% against the marriage. Now, it is true that Mary's father had had foreign brides. In fact, Mary's mother was even from Spain, but that was different. Henry was a man. When a woman got married, her husband got her title. So Mary's council didn't want a foreigner as king. Mary said that she would let Parliament decide if she could marry Philip. Parliament passed Queen Mary's Marriage Act in April 1554. Parliament said that Philip could only be king for as long as Mary was alive, England would provide no military support for him, and he could not appoint foreigners to office. Philip was not happy with the terms, but he agreed to them. When Mary married Philip in July of 1554, she became Queen of Naples and titular Queen of Jerusalem. She also became Queen Consort of Habsburg, Spain in January of 1556. When Mary and Philip were married, Mary was elated. Mary adored Philip. She was completely in love with him. Philip, on the other hand, well, he was less than smitten with Mary. He spent as much time away from Mary as he could. Mary's counsel were not the only ones that didn't want Mary to marry Philip. Protestants in England feared what would happen if their Catholic queen married another Catholic. This led to the Wyatt's Rebellion. The Wyatt's Rebellion was led by Thomas Wyatt the Younger, the son of the Thomas Wyatt that was saved from execution by Catherine Howard. In early 1554, rebels marched on London. Their goal? To prevent Mary from marrying Philip. Another unspoken goal was to replace Mary with her half-sister Elizabeth. They were also angry about England's poor economy. The people of London did not support the rebellion, and Mary's army crushed the rebels. Thomas Wyatt the Younger was executed. Henry Grey, 1st Duke of Suffolk, was also involved in the rebellion. He was the father of Lady Jane Grey. Mary didn't want to, but she felt she could not let Jane live. Even though Mary knew that Jane had nothing to do with taking the throne or the rebellion, Mary didn't want to give anyone a Protestant option to be queen. So she had Jane and Jane's husband, 
Lord Guilford Dudley executed on February 12, 1554. Mary's half-sister Elizabeth was arrested and she was taken to the Tower of London. She was then put on house arrest. Anne of Cleves was also suspected to have been involved in the Wyatt's Rebellion. But although her involvement in the rebellion was never proven, Anne fell out of favor and Mary and Anne never spoke again. Mary passed heresy laws at the end of 1554. Many Protestants could read the writing on the wall, and about 800 of them fled into exile. But some stayed, and the execution started in February of 1555. This was known as the Marian Persecutions. Mary targeted Protestant leaders for leading people astray. In April 1555, Mary's half-sister Elizabeth was released from house arrest and was invited back to court to witness Mary giving birth. Mary's husband Philip was made regent in case of Mary's death. At the end of April 1555, false rumors had started to spread all throughout Europe that Mary had given birth to a baby boy. By July of 1555, it was clear to see that the rumors were not the only thing that were false. Mary had had a hysterical pregnancy. Mary was crushed. She said it was God's punishment for her tolerating heretics. Philip left for Flanders and Mary fell into a deep depression and she set out to rid her country of heretics. Mary ended up executing, most by burning, 280 Protestants, including Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer. You may remember Thomas Cranmer from many episodes I've done this season. Thomas recanted before he was burned, and under the law that should have saved him, but Mary burned him anyway. Reginald Pole replaced him. In March of 1556, Philip convinced Mary to go to war with France. Her counsel was against it, but War was declared when Thomas Stafford invaded England and seized Scarborough Castle with the help of the French in an unsuccessful attempt to depose Mary. The war was disastrous. Mary lost Calais. It is rumored that Mary said after the loss, When I am dead and opened, you shall find Calais lying in my heart. On July 7, 1556, Henry Peckham and John Daniel were hanged, drawn, and quartered for their involvement in the Dudley Conspiracy. The Dudley Conspiracy was another plot to depose Mary and put her half-sister Elizabeth on the throne. Henry Dudley was the second cousin of John Dudley. Henry Dudley stole £50,000 from the exchequer to fund the plot. Eventually, Thomas White, a lesser figure of the scheme and exchequer official, told Reginald Pohl about the plot. All involved either fled, including Henry Dudley, or they were executed. Mary's reign was plagued by misfortune. King Edward VI left her with a horrible economy, flooding caused famine, and there was an influenza outbreak. 
but it wasn't all bad. She commissioned a world atlas, made new tariffs on imports, and created currency reform, though that was not implemented until her death. In 1557, she was overjoyed. Her period had stopped. Mary was pregnant. The baby was due in March of 1558, but the baby would never come. Mary wasn't pregnant. Mary was dying. Mary died on November 17, 1558 at St. James Palace at the age of 42. The cause of her death is unknown. Mary had had a lot of stomach pain before her death, and so she could have had ovarian cysts or uterine cancer. Mary had been queen for five years. Her husband that she loved so dearly was out of town in Brussels. Philip wrote to his sister Joan, quote, I feel a reasonable regret for her death, end quote. Mary was buried on December 14, 1558 at Westminster Abbey. She wanted to be buried next to her mother, but even in death, Mary's mother was kept away from her. When Mary's half-sister Elizabeth died, she was buried on top of Mary. There is an inscription on their tomb. The inscription is in Latin, and translated it says, Consorts in realm and tomb, we sisters Elizabeth and Mary, here lie down to sleep in hope of the resurrection. Mary's reign is often seen as unsuccessful due to things out of Mary's control. Things like the flooding and the influenza outbreak. Also, a lot of her accomplishments are credited to her half-sister Elizabeth. Accomplishments like fiscal reform, navy expansion, and colonial expansion. And of course, today she is known as Bloody Mary, a name she got in the 17th century. She even has a cocktail named after her. The tomato juice represents the blood of the Protestants, and the vodka represents the flames that burn them. But that name isn't entirely fair when you put Mary in context of the Tudor dynasty. I want to make it very clear here that I am not trying to excuse what Mary did. Executing hundreds of people was absolutely wrong. I just find it odd that out of all the Tudors, Mary is the one that is branded Bloody Mary. Sure, she did order the death of hundreds, but so did her half-sister Elizabeth. Mary's half-brother Edward executed 5,000. And Mary's father? King Henry VIII executed as many as 57,000, but no one called him Bloody Henry. So I think it is important to remember two things. One, who got to tell Mary's story? Mary rose to power in a time when women didn't have power. Mary was the first woman in her own right to be the Queen of England. She was a Catholic during a time when Protestantism was spreading, and Protestant men were the ones that told Mary's story. And two, Mary did do terrible things. But just also remember that the people around Mary also did terrible things. And that was the life of Queen Mary I of England. Thank you so much for listening to the 14th episode of the first season of History Shelf. There are 15 episodes planned for this season. Next week's episode is going to be this season's finale, and it's going to be about Queen Elizabeth I. I hope you come back for that. 
If you want to follow this podcast on social media, the Twitter for this podcast is at History Shelf Pod. The Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. And the Facebook is History Shelf Podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do that is to send me a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you want to check out the History Chef store that I've created on Teesprings, head on over to this podcast's Twitter page. Underneath the bio is a link to the History Chef store. I have also created a Patreon for this podcast. This podcast is always going to be free, but there are some perks that come with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is called History Student, and that is $1 a month. And with that, you get a thank you tweet from me. I will also acknowledge you on this podcast's Instagram and Facebook. The next tier is called History Fan, and that is $3 a month. And with that, you get the first tier, and you also get to help me choose the theme for the next season of this podcast. The next tier is called History Buff, and that's $20 a month. With that, you get the first two tiers, and you also get a handwritten note of thanks mailed to you from me. And the last tier is called History Lover, and with that, you get the first three tiers, and you also get to choose one item from the History Shelf merch store, and that tier is $40 a month. But, of course, there are some ways that you can help out this podcast for free. The first is to continue to listen to this podcast, and honestly, that is the best way that you can support this show. Another is if you are listening to this podcast on a platform that lets you rate the podcast five stars, if you do that, that would be very helpful. Another is to share this podcast with your friends and family on social media. That would also be very helpful. All right, well, until next time, keep learning, keep loving history, and come back for next week's episode. Bye.